Chris Stoner is the owner of Baltimore Sports and Life. BSL is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. Other parts of BSL include the networking events Baltimore Metro Business Development, BMBD, the Business Development Group Paysetters, and the site Baltimore 2029, which aims to celebrate the best of Charm City as Baltimore nears its 300th anniversary. This show will be utilized for discussion on sports and Baltimore as a whole. Discuss the show at the BSL message board and check out the other BSL radio offerings. Welcome into the Chris Stoner Show. Today I'm joined by Stuart Mandel, uh, editor-in-chief of the Athletics uh, College Football Coverage uh, Stuart spent 12 years of Sports Illustrated as SI's national college football writer. Also joined uh, Fox Sports in July of 2014, spending three years there before joining The Athletic uh, three years ago. Uh, looks like it's just uh, about your anniversary uh, with The Athletic. Um, uh, before we get into any of the college football talk, just um, for you, how personally rewarding has it been being part of The Athletic and this part of your career? Uh, that's exactly the right word for it. Incredibly uh, rewarding. And, and uh, you know, at the time that I joined in the summer of 2017, a lot of people were very down on the state of sports journalism. Uh, being at Fox when they basically got rid of the written word from their website entirely and, and replaced it all with videos. And I just kept saying to myself, you know, this doesn't match up with my own uh, experiences with, with college football fans and readers. They want to read good journalism. They want to read great coverage of their teams and the athletic has given us that opportunity. Uh, it's a kind of an old school product on a new school platform. Uh, and I'm very, very proud of the team that we put together and, uh, the quality of the, the coverage that we bring, even in the middle of the off season, I, I can safely say that no other outlet is covering college football as extensively as we are. And they have uh, eight full-time writers and uh, editors. I know, uh, your team includes, uh, Bruce Feldman and Andy Staples, but, Great team assembled uh, that you've put together. Uh, it's great to hear that you're in a good place and uh, uh, in a place where you can just concentrate on the on the work. So congrats uh, to you there. Uh, so the Big Ten and Pac-12, they announced uh, they will be conference only. Do you expect the, uh, the other Power Five conferences to follow? Well, right now I think that the feeling is that the other three are going to work together to preserve some of those non-conference matchups because – the reasoning for the Big Ten and Pac-12 to do that, it was not about having to get on a plane and travel somewhere. It was just about, you know, controlling uh, the testing protocols within the, you know, the teams in their conference, um, not feeling like a lot of those group of five and, and FCS opponents would be able to do the same thing. Uh, and also the ability to uh, have some built-in bye weeks. But I think that the other conferences, I mean, first of all, the ACC and the SEC have a lot of rivalry games against each other that they want to protect. Um, there's some high profile games like Texas LSU that there's a strong interest to protect. So I don't think they're going to keep any of the group of five FCS games, but I could see them, you know, if you're the SEC and they, they play eight conference games, usually if they want to play eight and then one non-conference or eight and then two non-conference, um, that would enable them to protect some of those games. And I think they would feel reasonably confident that schools from the other power five conferences are going to uh, follow the same protocols they are. Is the assumption that Notre Dame would have a full ACC slate uh, this year? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Notre Dame, the ACC is definitely going to take care of them, maybe even treat them as a as a regular conference member this year. I don't know if Notre Dame on its own would want to try to play Navy like it does every single year um, or, or some of the other games on their schedule. Um, you know, they're supposed to play Arkansas this year. Maybe that's a game that, that tries to get protected. But they they have a nice default there. They know that, uh, you know, that they'll be able to play – I'm sure if the ACC decides to play nine conference games this year and Notre Dame needs nine uh, conference opponents, they'll do that. But I also wouldn't be surprised if if they try to schedule a high-profile opponent to replace uh, some of those games. I'm just throwing it out there. Alabama needs an opponent right now. So, um, you know, anything's possible. Uh, I'm guessing it's a stretch, but I was thinking if Notre Dame had a full ACC slate, I wondered if they would be included this year in the – ACC championship race uh, placed in either division and have possible. Yeah. There's been a lot of different models thrown out there. I think the big 10 and PAC 12 caught everybody else off guard with how soon they announced that. And now the others are scrambling to figure out their plans. And, you know, one of the ones I've seen out there possibly is that the, the ACC would basically turn it into three, you know, five team pods, if you will. And Notre Dame would be part of the standing. So everybody that's ever, wish that Notre Dame would be forced to join a conference may get their wish just for this one season. So football is not played in the fall and is moved possibly in the spring to try and recoup some of the financial losses the athletic departments would be dealing with. Uh, what do you think uh, about the draft-eligible talent? Would you expect them to be playing, or do you, do you think uh, uh, there would be a lot of uh, – a lot of the higher end talent sitting out. Uh, I think the coach, I mean, everybody, the coaches, everybody's realistic. You know, you're not going to see Trevor Lawrence. You're not going to see Justin Fields. You're probably not going to see anybody who thinks they've got high round potential. What you now you would hope that, you know, I mean, there's very, it's a very small percentage of those guys who, who, if they don't play another season, it wouldn't affect their draft stock. I mean, most, you know, I think uh, in my colleague Bruce Feldman's article the other day, he pointed out that LSU had five first round picks. And none of those guys would have gone in the first round before this past season. And, and a couple might have gone undrafted. So, you know, most guys need to put another season on tape. But they're also going to have to balance that with the risk of, I mean, I think the biggest risk of spring football is that uh, 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 an a guy who tears his ACL, you know, normally the recovery time, you're still able to play the next season. If you tear your ACL in February or March, it's going to cost you, not just the rest of that season, but your rookie season in the NFL. And I think that's going to probably cause a lot of guys to, to sit out. Yeah, I, f- I think that answer makes a lot of s- sense there, Stuart, that the it's a limited number of true, you know, first or second round types, and maybe they would s- sit out, but you get plenty of guys that would need that, that additional uh, tape time, uh, and it would be a chance for them to improve their stock. So uh, that seems realistic there. So the Depending if this season is played or not, you have, of course, every summer uh, the coaches that are on the uh, the proverbial hot seat. Uh, who could potentially benefit uh, the most by a lost season this year? Uh, oh gosh, uh, all of them. And yeah, if they do play this season. I mean, just the economic climate of the sport, and you know, and you know, the possibility of losing tens of millions of dollars if you can't have fans in the stands. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see hardly any uh, coaching turnover because schools aren't going to be able to afford to buy them out. But I mean, certainly Clay Helton's the guy who's been squarely on the hot seat for two years now. And, you know, Clay Helton's biggest, the thing that's caused him the most uh, problems with, with USC fans is that, he, he, you know, even when, even the year they won the Pac-12, they still got crushed by 
um, Notre Dame out of conference and Ohio state in the bowl game. And the last time they played Alabama, they got just destroyed. And so that just got taken off the schedule. The Alabama games, they can't lose that. They can't lose to Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, go however, let's say they play 10 conference games and he goes nine and one, like, you know, like USC, the next thing you know, they're in the playoffs. So uh, I think it works out well for him. About uh, USC's crosstown rival, uh, UCLA, and uh, Chip Kelly. Um, you know, at one point, uh, he was really the golden, uh, you know, golden child of uh, college coaching, then, you know, made the move to the NFL and has lost some of his luster. But I have to believe a guy could still coach, but it doesn't seem to be going, uh, going smoothly so far in uh, UCLA. But obviously, a point you made, it seems valid that the, uh, there's only going to be so much money to go around. Uh, yeah, and UCLA in particular was already – I mean, they're still paying off their last round of coaches that they fired, both in football and basketball, and they're facing a huge deficit. Under Armour's threatening to pull their whole sponsorship deal. Uh, so I think Chip Kelly stayed for a while. There, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a couple other coaches that came up. I, I saw maybe Will Muschamp or, uh, uh, interestingly uh, – uh, Tom Herman in Texas or Kevin Sumlin, you know, I, Herman kind of surprised me seeing that he was on uh, some hot seat radars. I mean, only a few years in, seems like the, the recruiting is moving up for Texas. Where do you see the Longhorns uh, at this point? Yeah, I mean, he had, it was no question. It was a very rough season last year. He ended up firing both his coordinators, um, which is usually kind of a sign of desperation. But, you know, they've got Sam Ellinger back for his fourth year as the quarterback. They had a lot of injuries on defense last year. I noticed that the preseason um, all Big 12 teams came out yesterday, and Texas was tied with Oklahoma for the most guys on there. So they've got players. Uh, I don't think they're uh, – if people expected him to have them contending for the national championship by now, no, they're not there yet. But I expect them to bounce back pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, you understand the Longhorn expectations are always high and that the – uh, Texas has as many as much means as anybody, but does take some time to build a program uh, and get get it back where, where they are. It seemed like they were trending in the right direction overall. Uh, kind of bigger landscape. So two years from now, uh, thinking about the Power Five, you think they're still going to be part of uh, uh, of the existing FBS, or do you think they will have uh, broken away? Um. It's not that I expect them to break away necessarily. Um, I think this whole COVID, you know, the, the whole fallout from it is going to cause a lot of, uh, you know, you're already hearing, I think I'm already hearing people suggest that this might be the end of the NCAA model, but that's not something you can unwind particularly fast. Um, that could that could take place over, a, you know, many years. Um, you know, I think that, I think that the next couple of years are going to be really, really harsh for a group of five schools. We're already seeing it. I mean, some of these Mac schools are just getting decimated and we haven't even gotten to a potentially canceled football season. So I guess the question is, will some of those schools drop down? Um, will, I mean, I'm worried that frankly, some of them will go out of business if, if there's no football season. Um, I don't think the Power Five is in any hurry to, to break away from anybody. I mean, they nothing's stopping them. Nothing's really holding them back right now. But the key the key thing will be in, in 2024, 2025, a lot of the TV deals come up. And if you're going to see shuffling, that, that would be the time. And, um, you know, I think 
way back in 2010 when the Pac-12 tried to become the Pac-16. Uh, yeah, that was yeah, that was and, yeah, yeah that was that was an idea that was ahead of its time. I think um, nobody was ready for something quite that radical. But by the time we get through this and the, and just the the impact that it's going to have on everybody, you know, that's a time when I could see uh, some some what I would call consolidation. I don't think you're going to see okay, the Big Ten is going to go find two more teams to, te- you know, like Maryland and Rutgers. Like that, that, those days are over. But, you know, if, if so something bold. Would most, Big 12 would be the most vulnerable. At I think point. the Pac-12 right now is the most vulnerable because there's just so much dysfunction in that conference and so much disappointment with um, their TV deal. But those are the two that, to me, the thing that would make the most sense is for the two of them to actually team up together and form some sort of, power conference between them because right now the big 10 and the sec are heading on a trajectory where the you know forget power five versus group of five the big 10 and the sec financially are going to just if they haven't already are just going to totally separate themselves from the other three and the only way that's going to change is if a new conference arises that okay now you know whereas the big 12 really only has texas and oklahoma to sell and the pac-12 really only has usc and oregon to sell what if they're all in the same conference that's the only way I could see where they would start to make a run at the other two. That's pretty interesting. We'll have to investigate that further uh, down the road. Uh, we've had lots of uh, realignment discussions at, at our site or, over the years, and uh, thinking about how that landscape could change in the future is definitely interesting to talk about. Uh, with an optimistic tone that there is football in this fall, it's kind of kind of bounced through the uh, Power Five real quick. Just your favorites. I think are pretty clear and then maybe not spending much time on them, but just uh, the the second uh, your second uh, team that you have in each conference and the and maybe a proverbial sleeper uh, existing. So ACC again, obviously you know, looks there, like I have know. no second choice there. <laughs> yeah. I Clemson mean, and Clemson. It, uh, it, it's yeah. amazing to me just uh, of how Clemson is just um, – it's like the run Florida State had for 25 exactly years, and, and they've just taken complete control of the of the conference. But um, who else is interesting? Not as a contender to, uh, to Clemson, but who else interested you? Well, there are pro- there are definitely programs and coaches in that conference that I think could could make a move over the next couple of years. I mean, I think Louisville had the best hire of anybody last year with Scott Satterfield, and he, frankly, was a miracle work he did last year after the mess Bobby Petrino left them in. I could see them becoming a force over the next few years. Certainly Florida state is one of those programs that if they have the right coach is always going to be in the mix. So I, who knows Mike Norvell will turn out to be that guy or not, but you know, you're interested yeah, to see what they start for him. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what he can do there. But right now, I mean, Clemson, Clemson's getting, uh, you know, Clemson did all this with not necessarily like this touted or recruiting classes as Alabama or Ohio state, uh, just just being really good at evaluations and and not having a lot of uh, misses and now they're getting into California and getting the best player in the country who's in California and uh, you know they're a national recruiting brand now so it's hard to see anybody knocking them off their perch unless of course we get to you know this delayed season you know I, I think if the season gets delayed to the spring the teams that are going to suffer the most are Clemson Alabama Ohio State that could have a dozen guys turn pro so if somebody else wants to win the ACC, there's their window. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Uh, in the uh, Coastal Division, I mean, I've seen Virginia Tech picked. I've seen uh, North Carolina. I know North Carolina has a 
I believe a top five recruiting class right now in the class of 21. So kind of, uh, something to watch there, but uh, who's the favorite for you in the, in the coastal? I don't think there's a clear favorite. Um, UNC is the team that I had ranked the highest in my spring top 25. Um, I mean, they're a team that was better than their record last season and brings everybody back. So, you know, I think that's my favorite, but I could see Pitt being in the mix. You know, everybody's going to write off Miami because they've struggled the last couple of years, but they just brought in De'Eric King from Houston as quarterback. They brought in the, um, the defensive player of the year from the AAC and from Temple. So they could get better a lot quickly as well. Big 12 uh, usually always starts with Oklahoma. I know Baylor's looked at it uh, pretty highly uh, this year. Uh, how do you see that conference? Well, I think it's still Oklahoma's to lose, but like I said earlier, I think it's Texas bouncing back big. And I think Iowa State's the dark horse there. Um, they, they took a slight step back last year, but that's still Matt Campbell has really built a great program there. And Brock Purdy now entering his third year as quarterback, I think one of the more overlooked quarterbacks in the country. Um, you know, if they were going to sneak up, this would be the year to do it. Uh, Big 10, uh, Ohio state, uh, kind of seemingly separated themselves from the pack. Uh, although uh, Penn state has put together multiple, uh, high end classes, their top 10 program, uh, looking at the East as a whole, looks like Michigan maybe steps back a little bit this year, uh, figure Ohio state in the East, Maybe Penn State. Uh. I think it's a legit two-team race between Ohio State and Penn State. And I think this is the team James Franklin's been building toward for a while. They were they were very young last year, and they managed to win 11 games. So, um, you know, you look at – if you watch the, the bowl game against Memphis, you saw them run for about 800 yards, and, and almost all those running backs are back. Um, yeah, stole against Maryland last year, too. That was fun. Good time. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Clifford, a quarterback. Uh, Micah Parsons could be one of the best defensive players in the country. So – I really look at them being, uh, I mean, really Penn state's been, been right there with them the last few years and just hasn't quite gotten it done. Um, I think in the West, Wisconsin is your team to beat, but I mean, don't overlook Minnesota after what they did last year. I was certainly always going to be in the mix. So, um, it's just right now, it just, whoever comes out of the West, it just feels like they're always a step behind Ohio state or whoever comes out of the East. Uh, just quickly on Scott Frost in Nebraska there. So mm -hmm. uh, where, where is the Cornhusker program at this point? They're always going to have to recruit outside of Nebraska. Uh, I know in their heyday they brought in a lot of, I believe, a lot of Florida guys at, at, at the time. Uh, obviously, Frost had the, the, the you know, uh, his coaching at U, you know, UCF. Uh, where is that program, and do you think they become a, a true perennial contender in the West? No, I don't think what Scott Frost did at UCF was a fluke. So people expected him to do the same thing here, and it's just turning out to be a, 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 a harder, slower rebuild than he had there. But and and so because of that, I mean, I think it's not even a guarantee that they will be a top twenty-five team this year. Um, you know, I think the thing that set him back is there have been some off-the-field issues where okay, they thought they had this really good running back, Maurice Washington, and he gets in trouble and he's gone, and uh, they're. Their top receiver, J.D. Spielman, transferred, and nobody really knows why. Um, they, they, so when you're a new coach, you need to not only bring in your new your own guys, but they need to stay. And you know, I think that set him back a little bit. Adrian Martinez was after his freshman season was seen as possible Heisman contender last season. And he took a huge step back. So um, I think 
maybe the best news for Scott Frost is that the expectations have ramped down a little bit, and maybe this year they could actually exceed expectations. Uh, Pac-12 looks like Oregon after maybe a bit of a lull, at least for Oregon, they look like they're back on the uh, ascending uh, side. And who else there? Utah, California. Uh, uh, is it Oregon's division to lose, uh, uh, or do you think they'll be pushed there? In- well, Oregon has definitely, I mean, give Mario Cristobal a lot of credit. He's really built up the talent there. I mean, when they were winning big under Chip Kelly and early Mark Helfrich, it wasn't with top 10 recruiting classes or top 15 recruiting classes. It was just guys that fit the system. So Cristobal's really, I mean, guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, who's a stud defensive lineman, and, and Panay Sewell, their offensive lineman, like these are not the kind of players they were getting before. Now they've got a big question at quarterback this year, who's going to succeed Justin Herbert. So I think they're the favorite, but I'll tell you what, don't sleep on USC. Um, they, they bring back a bunch, including I think Keaton Slovis is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And then the sneaky team in that conference could be Cal. Uh, they have gotten better each year under Justin Wilcox. They, uh, you know, you, when you do these season previews and you look at returning starters and returning production, I don't know if I've ever seen a team bring back as much as this team. They, they're, they lost one guy from their entire offensive two deep. Uh, wow. they did. They that's a, you don't see that they they you know the, the big loss there is evan weaver all-american linebacker um but on the whole it's still a very experienced defense so i kind of feel like this is their window this year if they can if oregon doesn't get their quarterback situation sorted out um certainly stanford is down washington is breaking in a new coach so you know if, if ever cal wanted to have that dream season this could be that We'll finish up with uh, the SEC. So you have the uh, in the West, you got the defending champs LSU. Of course, Alabama always uh, there. Uh, you got the two Mississippi schools with their new head coaches. Uh, interesting uh, hires there, and Auburn, who I don't know, kind of seemingly goes uh, unnoticed, but is always kind of right in the hunt. And poor Arkansas there uh, in the end. So uh, defending champs LSU. Alabama uh, right in the mix, and uh, Auburn uh, the third team there, or, or what do you see? Well, LSU lost so much from that team last year that it's just not realistic to think they're going to win the SEC. Uh, Alabama, I think, will come back with a vengeance. Um, you know, I think the question, as it has been for the last couple of years, can Georgia overtake Alabama? They, they've recruited as well, if not better, than Alabama for the last three or four years. Um, they now have two, you know, first it was Jamie Newman coming in from Wake Forest. Now JT Daniels from USC, both eligible. Uh, that was their, their probably their weakest spot last year where Jake Fromm really struggled. So I, I don't really have a, a strong lean one way or the other, but I would assume it'll be one of those two. And overall balance of the SEC, do you see the divisions becoming more uh, even at this point? It looks like the, the East seems to be improving. I think that the East – if Tennessee can get its act together under Jeremy Pruitt and they're recruiting really well right now and you had Georgia, Florida and Tennessee all playing well, you know, that would be more like what we used to expect of that division before Nick Saban took over the SEC. But, you know, you look at the West, the West, it's not getting worse. It's getting better. I think A&M will take a, another step forward this year under Jimbo Fisher. I think Lane Kiffin can win games at Ole Miss. Um, so, and then now, obviously, LSU's had a huge resurgence, so probably still leans 
pretty heavily toward the West, but the East could get better. Well, I'd be remiss not to get a couple of Terps faults uh, uh, while we have you. It's uh, year two for Loxley, at least in this era. Uh, he's got class 21 is currently top 20 recruiting class. He's doing a uh, better job of keeping the DMV talent home. Uh, Maryland, what I've seen in Big Ten play, is they've had plenty of skilled position talent compared to the rest of the conference, but they've been subpar on both lines, and the quarterback play has not been good enough. The recruiting as we're going into 21, top four players are all defensive line. Uh, there's a few quarterback options improved this year if Tagliavoa gets uh, gets his uh, – uh, waiver. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen or not. Uh, but, you know, general thoughts uh, for Maryland. Understand the East is always going to be a bear, but it really just starts with uh, getting your home uh, talent, I, I think. What, 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 do you, what about you? Yeah, I mean, Michael Oxley was hired for that very reason, to, to, to be a great recruiter, to take keep more in, uh, nearby talent at home, and he's doing that. And But, of course, that's going to take a couple years to show up on the field. So, I don't see a lot of reason really to be excited about this year's Maryland team. I mean, they just don't bring back all that much from a team that wasn't that great to begin with. Um, but I do think he's, I mean, he's showing getting to his brother to come to Maryland. I mean, was a, whether he turns out to be the savior or not was a pretty big move. You know, it showed that the, the, the confidence that somebody like that, somebody like him has in Mike Loxley. So um you know, I think you're going to continue to see him make inroads in recruiting and fans will just have to be a little bit patient because it could be uh, a couple of years before you really start to see uh, that play out on the field. Yeah, to see uh, if he's eligible this year. If he is, he probably starts. If he's not, Maryland's got Josh Jackson back another year. Yeah, I wouldn't guarantee that he's going to start. I mean, he uh, he it's hard to tell at this point how much of his hype is about truly about him and how much was about being to his brother. Um, yeah. He was never seriously in the mix. You know, if he had stayed at Alabama, he was not going to compete for the starting job this year. So we'll just temper expectations a little bit around him. But, you know, certainly under Loxley's tutelage, the way they have a relationship there, um, you know, I, it's fully possible he would be the starter at some point. Yeah, some system knowledge. I mean, obviously Jackson and, and uh, LeJohn, they're coming back and they have been directly in the system uh, playing this year. And obviously practice time is going to be limited, so maybe they have the leg up. Uh, John, uh, Jackson, he really uh, struggled. I was expecting more after what he had done at Virginia Tech, but, of course, the offensive line didn't do him any favors last year. Uh, and John, he's a pretty, he was a highly regarded prospect himself. So it would be interesting there. Uh, but like you said, yeah, it's a, it's a step in a building at a time and it doesn't come, uh, come easy. Even with a top 20 class right now, it's, it's only the fifth rated class within the conference. So it's, uh, you just have to continue to build and stack classes. So we'll, we'll see where they there go. There is no more cursed position in all college football than Maryland quarterback. I just feel like <laughs> every year. The starting quarterback tears his ACL, and can you just keep somebody upright? That's why. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing you want to see with his eligibility to, to his brother is just to have another guy yeah. potentially, potentially available. Like I feel like it would be an accomplishment just for them to have a guy who starts and makes it through every game, you know, starts every game all season. Yeah, that continuity and also having a coaching staff being able to go through a, you know, a four or five year run without 
you know, <laughs> having to start over. I mean, we had interviewed you years ago uh, several times or Q&As with the site and talking about kind of that DMV movement. So it's nothing new. It's just can you keep the, keep that talent? And there is there is plenty of it. So it's mm-hmm. encouraging to see Loxley having a start and see if he can build off of that. But, Stuart, I appreciate your time. Thanks for taking us through uh, uh, college football. I hope that we have uh, uh, some uh, Saturdays to watch this fall. But if not, we'll continue to uh, go to The Athletic for great football coverage and also uh, your podcast, which, of course, is uh, The Audible. I encourage people to check that out. Again, Stuart, my my thanks for uh, taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Thanks.